It is certainly a blessing we've each been given to assemble today. The songs that we've sung have been encouraging and uplifting. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. We just together sang that a moment ago, encouraging ourselves in faithfulness, in obedience, to give always careful thought to the things that God teaches us. It's always good to appreciate the blessing of assembly for the worship. And so today, as we have sung and prayed, we'll also consider for the next few moments a part of the Word of God. The message of immodesty. That's the title I gave to the lesson. You may note it in Proverbs 7, verse 10. We'll be referring to that passage in just a moment, and we'll look with some care and, in fact, an interesting diligence in regard to the comment that was made by the inspired writer. Any topic addressed in the Bible is clearly very important, for every word of God is tried, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. And therefore, we'll have to appreciate that it's going to be opened again someday, and we'll have to give an answer to what the inspired writers penned for you and for me. And so as we close that particular slide, may we say, the clothing you and I choose to wear, for example, it may well be that days pass and we really give very little reflection upon it. We rise in the morning and get ready for our day of work, or perhaps we rise on a given day where we don't go to work, but we put on our work clothes to work outside. We give often perhaps little reflection to that. But as you notice at the bottom of that slide that's before you, our clothing is really a serious matter in that it involves money. It involves a decision of the heart. Today, why don't we reflect at least for a few moments on that. Our nation, it seems, continues to have a very serious issue with much of what we're about to say today. But that's why it's so vital that you and I be mindful of it. The clothing that you and I choose to wear... The most important thing to note is it really is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of consideration relative to what is on one's mind, what is on one's perspective, what is one's primary and chief pursuit in life. Let's develop that using some statements from the Word of God. That first verse in Matthew 11, verse 8, and also found in Matthew 3, verse 4, what a person chooses to wear will be indicative of, in many ways at least, the kind of individual that person is. Is that person ostentatious? Do they want the glory of men? In all likelihood, they'll pick clothing to draw your attention to what they wear. It'll be indicative of that very thing, that wish they've got. But is this person a very humble person? Is it a lowly of mind person? Does that person regard himself in a matter of humility? In all likelihood, their clothing will reflect it. They will wear what is on their heart. You'll notice in Joel 2.13, there what they wore reflected the attitude of repentance. It reflected a mindset of grief and sorrowfulness. Is it true today that if you and I are a person sorrowful from something we've done, we might indicate that in some way by choosing appropriately the things we wear? Perhaps the third one, in Nehemiah 9 verse 1, even a stronger passage relating to the fact that because of the people's penitence, they changed the kinds of things they were wearing. May I say that if you and I are wearing something that's improper based on the declaration of the Word of God, penitence will demand we stop wearing it. It'll demand we change 
We can't go on wearing it if it's wrong and claim we repented. But isn't it true? That next passage in Proverbs 7 verse 10, that's the text that was read just a moment ago. As Joy read it at that point, it said, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Don't you find it intriguing that among the things asserted about this woman, this person, was what she was wearing? She was wearing the attire of an harlot. May we say that she had clothes on, but it was clothing that was indicative of prostitution. It was clothing that sent a message. The clothing that you and I choose to wear sends a message. And others are watching, and they are at least receiving a message because that clothing sends a signal about the welfare of our heart, what's most important to us. And if we wear what's inappropriate, if we wear what's immodest, if we wear what is in fact otherwise condemned in the Bible, we're sending a very blunt and straightforward message that I really don't care what the Bible says. The culture likes it and I'm going to wear it. But you know that of course that's going to damn our soul if we keep doing that. And if we never repent of it, because we'll be judged because of it. Look as you and I close that slide. Some questions. And these are questions for all of us. Every one of us. Does the clothing that I wear promote holiness in myself and in other people? That's a fair question based on what we're about to study today. Does what I choose to wear promote, encourage holiness in the mind of another person? Second question, does what I choose to wear, on the other hand, promote only a message of materialism? In essence, the banner of worldliness. That'll be an important question. Finally, does what I choose to wear promote sensuality? Does it promote ideas of sexuality? Does it promote that matter in sinfulness in another person? To summarize all of that, last one could we say, does it promote lust in somebody else? Those questions, again, are meaningful. And I know full well, as all of us do, that as you walk your way through the typical discount store today or the typical clothing manufacturer's presentations today, in many instances, they are little concerned about any of that. They're concerned about the bottom line, what will sell. And you and I have noted it often, if you watch much television, that what sells is not what the Bible encourages. What sells, in fact, is materialistic to the core and lustful and sensual. But today, we need to be reminded, we have to be peculiar people, zealous unto good works, if we're going to please God. It is with that thought in mind, let's begin a journey. A journey through some of the things starting even from the opening pages in the, in the book of God. It is remarkable to reflect upon Adam and Eve. I suppose it is easy to understand. Here were a man and a woman, human beings just like us. May we never think that they somehow were not human. They were. Adam was the first man, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And Eve was the mother of all living, Genesis 3, verse 20. Interesting, isn't it then, that as you and I close the second chapter of Genesis, the Garden of Eden had been prepared. Adam had been placed there. 
However, in his loneliness or the fact that he was alone, God had fashioned a woman and brought her to the man. In verses 23 and 24 of that chapter, these two were married. They were husband and wife. And then this little statement is found closing Genesis chapter 2. It's the last verse in the chapter. And they, that's Adam and Eve, were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In the dawn of time, you notice here were human beings completely naked. And it was not shameful for them. At this moment and on this occasion, here was a circumstance in which a man and his wife, both, they were naked, no clothes at all. And yet there was nothing improper, nothing immodest, nothing sinful about it. It says they were unashamed. They weren't blushing about this. But yet in the very next chapter, there was a fundamental and profound change that took place. You'll note it highlighted on some of the matters of that slide. And would you note these statements with me? In the first few verses of the next chapter, the tempter presented himself before Eve. And as he did so, of course, his issue wasn't with clothing particularly. He just simply said, that tree in the midst of the garden, can you eat of it? And she said, oh no, for if we do, God has said, you'll surely die. But in the course of that discussion, the devil said, you'll not die. And in the verses that follow, attention was called to her about how good the fruit looked and how pleasant it appeared. Well, in the aftermath of that, it was told to her it'll make you as gods, knowing good and evil. And she partook of it and gave to Adam, and he did as well. Could I invite you to notice the first thing they did? after partaking of that fruit. Verse number 6 describes its ending this, "...and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat..." Next thing, "...the eyes of them both were open, they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons." The first thing that they came to appreciate, the first sentience that came to their mind, "...we're now naked." What before was all right is not now. First work after that they proceeded to do was not pruning the trees. It wasn't attempting and otherwise to prepare the next meal. First thing that took priority, make something to cover her nakedness. And so you'll notice they took fig leaves and sewed aprons, something like a modern day swimsuit. And as they did that, you'll notice that God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You'll notice they hid themselves. They seemingly understood not only an element of fear because they knew that they had partaken of the forbidden fruit, but they perhaps had still a sense that these swimsuit-like things we're wearing, these thong-like structures we're wearing, are not appropriate. And they hid themselves. Did you note the language appearing in verses 8 and 9? God called, Adam, where art thou? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked. He had some clothes on and still called himself naked. It is entirely possible to have clothing on and still be naked. He says, I hid myself, verse number 10. 
And then God said, Who told you you were naked? And at that point, of course, in the verses that follow, God already knew what had happened. God knows everything. He wanted Adam to admit it. And He wanted Adam to confess to it. But you'll notice Adam first tried to place the blame on his wife, and she tried to place the blame on the serpent, and God punished all of them. The nakedness that appeared, you'll notice we aren't quite finished. God, you see, intervened into this matter. They had made themselves a type of clothing which was unsuitable. And in verse number 20 and 21, the following additional information is given. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Did you notice? God made these clothes. It wasn't left to Adam and Eve. God fashioned them. God made them. It was a coat of skin. As you and I remember, what they had fashioned out of fig leaves was really more like a thong, a belt-like apron, a very small covering thing. That wasn't good enough. It wasn't acceptable, and God made coats of skins. You may well notice at the bottom that word coat literally means a long shirt-like garment. It covered their nakedness. It was acceptable. God made it. And yet throughout the stream of time, the human family has, of course, struggled mightily choosing to pursue far more what kind of clothing that Adam and Eve made rather than the clothing structures that God made. Today, as we still continue to wrestle somewhat with this, we notice some further information in the Word of God. Could you jump into the New Testament with me? We have looked at the dawn of time. Every one of us, every day, have some decisions to make about the clothing we wear. We understand that. And certainly, given that it's a desire of the heart and a matter of the heart, we want to please God. We aren't interested in pleasing culture. We really couldn't care less about that, right? We want to do what will allow us to be blessed with entering heaven. After all, wouldn't it be sad to arrive at the day of judgment and perhaps under the illusion that all is well and for God to open up verses like the ones we're studying today and ask the question, why did you choose to wear that? Because after all, in those choices, as we're about to see, there's much impact upon the spiritual well-being even of other people. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is where we will consider next in our journey, Paul had some inspired matters to state along this line. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with pearls, I'm sorry, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And at that point, we seemingly arrive at a number of matters of intrigue and question, not the least of which are these issues I've invited our consideration to this morning. There are three adjectives that are presented, three descriptives. Modest apparel, with shamefacedness, with sobriety. Could I ask you to notice that that word modest carries with it very strongly the following sensations. To be dressed, characterized by respectability, appropriateness, and of course the word modesty. 
it seems from the very dawn of time, there has been something embedded in the consciousness of men and women. Adam and Eve knew they were naked. And even with clothes on, they knew they were naked. There seems something that's in there that, at least in our better moments, we understand what is the element of propriety. The body has private parts which are not, not to be revealed. Except, of course, under special circumstances with our marriage mate. That's it. These are not for public spectacle. They're not for public viewing. They are not, in fact, to be presented even in a somewhat interestingly and sexually concealed way, but nonetheless invites attention to it. That's wholly improper. It's wholly inappropriate. Look at the next word that might be noted, the word shamefacedness. It is a tragedy that at least by and large our culture in the mind of many has lost the element of shamefacedness. It literally means reverence or modesty. And if you wish to think of it this way, it is the capability of feeling shame with respect to something. To be bothered by it. To have your face turn red because of it. Have you ever been in a situation in which, where perhaps you say something and completely unknowing that someone here is hearing you who is in fact completely opposite in viewpoint and you turn red and you blush, you feel embarrassment? That's in essence what the word means. We ought to blush when we find ourselves wearing something that is not right. And yet our world so often today is able to parade nakedly in public without shame, without blushing, without feeling any sense of disgrace. We must make sure as those who love the Lord that we never allow ourselves to slip to the point where we lose the sense of shamefacedness. The last word is sobriety. It has the thought of soundness of mind, that which relates to self-control, sensibleness, and moderation. It might be of interest to note then that these verses characterize in a strong way an appreciation of the kind of clothing that God has always appreciated or wanted His people to wear. As you and I close that slide, isn't it interesting then that it encourages us to be of this mindset? No, don't wear clothing that you attempt to rationalize and say, well, I'm not as bad as him or her or them. I can go close to the line. I just won't cross it like they do. That's eternally dangerous. It's much like this. When there is a gigantic cliff like the Grand Canyon, I think most of us in sensibility recognize that if I want to take a picture or a selfie somewhat near it, I'm not going to stand on its brink. And there are people today who in foolishness do that and the wind gust comes and they plunge to their death. We must choose clothing not that would be close to this line that is wrong in the Word of God, but we want to stay safely far from it. Wearing what's shamefacedness, what is modest, what is described in the Word of God as in sobriety. That is sound judgment. And might we introduce this? It's not sound judgment based on human appreciation. It's sound judgment based on the Word of God. And with that in mind, how strong it is as you and I close that slide. 
we realize that Paul here specifically addressed the women. And we understand that men, of course, can in fact choose to wear what's inappropriate. No doubt about that. But all throughout the ages, it seems as though the attire of an harlot was more attached to what a woman chooses to wear to seduce a man, to seduce in activities what is unwholesome and certainly not good. And so certainly women must be awfully cautious, not wearing things that are cut too low and things as far as leggings and other skirts or shorts that are cut too high. All of that would be frowned upon by God. But our study, of course, goes even further than that. And it does so as we journey to the next slide. We mentioned earlier that this attire of an harlot, that which makes it so wrong is the message it sends. She's wearing clothes, but they're still not good enough in the sense that they meet the judgment of God. You and I can wear clothes but it's clothes that are not suitable. Let's start our journey on this slide. One of the things then that we just have to realize is that God has placed in the human psyche, the human frame, that which can be excited by the body of another. And you and I know how much sex sells. The commercials on TV present it. Advertisements in magazines present it. We understand this. But therein lies the warnings in the Word of God. We must not encourage that essence in lustfulness. Look at some of these verses with me. In Romans 1.24, as description was given about the sins of the Gentile nations, notice what in was stated in that opening chapter of the Roman letter. Romans 1 verse 24, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, listen, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The lusts of the heart. Any act of sensuality which becomes sin will begin in the heart somewhere. That sin doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. It arises as one is excited by virtue of the lusts that arise in the heart. You'll notice furthermore in Galatians 5.19, that listing of the works of the flesh, and yet four, the first four in that list, are those things that arrive out of the heart. You may notice one more in Matthew 5.28. This one certainly is quickly that which comes to our mind. Jesus said this, "'You've heard that it hath been said, "'Thou shalt not commit adultery.'" Jesus said, but I say to you, that man who looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, he may not have committed the physical act, but he's already committed in his heart adultery with her. Men, we have a job before us. In a world that seems to so often turn its attention to an encouragement of open display of the body, things which are not concealed, things which are openly presented, and admittedly the person may have clothes on, but it's too tight, or it is so tight and so revealing that it's awfully easy for one's mind to wander where it does not need to be. That's the reason that such care must be given 
in what we choose to wear, all of us. And men, what we choose to allow ourselves to think about. Turn your mind away. Turn your eyes away. Don't look. We have to be careful. We have to be mindful. You'll notice next on the slide, it is entirely possible then for what a person chooses to wear to contribute to inappropriate thoughts in someone else. That was the reason for that question early in the lesson. And what I am, is what I'm wearing contributing to the lustful thoughts in someone else? If it is, not only is that person sinning, but I am too. And I may go to hell because of it. This is not an idle discussion, is it? God takes this very seriously. If you read much in history, you're aware of the fact that ancient civilizations often paraded nakedly in public. The Greeks were known for it. At the gymnasiums where people would gather in a public way for various activities related to athleticism, quite often nakedness was on display. The Word of God was written at a day and time, and you'll notice it didn't endorse this. It openly opposed it. Paul, as he preached around the Roman Empire, said, you need to dress modestly. You need to dress in sobriety. Paul didn't endorse what was going on there. And today, whether it be shopping in public, whether it be visiting a particular workout facility, we need to make sure we do not dress in a way that will encourage inappropriate sinful thoughts in somebody else. And may we go so far as to say, although such a place and what goes on there may be good for my health, if it's going to make me lose my soul, I need to cancel that membership and find some other way, some other way to engage in that kind of activity which is not sinful or which isn't causing me to sin. Didn't Jesus say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. You'd be better off to go through life with one hand than have two to be cast into hell. May we also say then, when it comes to our clothing, that same principle is in force. Notice one other thing. If you and I then choose to wear this tantalizing clothing, this clothing that encourages lustful thoughts in another, notice 1 Corinthians 10.32. There, as Paul addressed the city of Corinth, the church existent there, would you remember this with me? That city was known for its wickedness. It was known for its lewdness. And in the midst of that wicked place was a congregation of God's people. And God told those people, you cannot do and dress like them. If you do, you're guilty of sinfulness just as they are. Paul encouraged the people there to recognize the authority of God and to be quick to thus distance themselves from what the culture says is normal. One of the greatest dangers that the church, I suppose, has always faced is to allow its behavior to be dictated by the culture. The church is not a cultural organization. We stand opposed to that if that culture opposes the Word of God. Our marching orders are the Bible. We're going to do what God says is right. Whatever you do, listen, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him, Colossians 3.17. As that statement is this descriptive of you and I, 
Notice then this. 1 Corinthians 11.1, may I ask each of us this question. Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. If the world at large were to ask you and I and say, could we use your clothing style as a pattern for a whole new clothing line, would you and I be excited about that thought? We will have the opportunity to encourage appropriate wearing of clothes all over the world. If that company followed through with the clothing line they make, encourage holiness and proper clothing styles, or would the clothing line based on us be very little, if any better, than the clothing line they already have in place. Paul said, as Christians, we need to be able to say, you follow me as I follow Christ. Can you and I say that? Does our clothing back up that kind of thinking? If it does, may you and I continue to dress the way we already are. But if it doesn't, let's repent of it. Let's make some changes. Let's take some things out of our wardrobe and throw them in the trash. And let's go get us some clothing. And perhaps if we need to, the clothing I realize you buy these days may well itself, it may be hard to find clothing that's suitable. But maybe you can augment it or perhaps put some other things with it that make it appropriate. Let us be urgent and devoted. Let us be fully desirous of wearing that which is encouraging of wholesome living. Let's close that slide like this. There is one aspect of clothing that we should not allow to pass us by. Again, I realize the world encourages the wearing of clothing which will gather the attention of others. And sexuality is the idea. Look how good I look. May we keep in mind it is not of importance. It's only one's spiritual mate that you should care how you look. Ladies, the only one you should care if you look good or not is your husband. It doesn't matter about any other man. It doesn't matter about anybody else. You want him, perhaps, to be enamored by your presence and the way you look, but other men, you shouldn't want their attention. You really shouldn't. And may I say, if we choose to wear inappropriate clothing, we really are cheapening ourselves. We really are selling ourselves at an awfully low price. One of the saddest sagas in all the Bible is the continued repetition of when individuals chose to do that. They were made in the image of God, and they were placed on a zenith and a pinnacle of faithful, wholesome living, and they sold themselves cheaply for the attention of a person, for that which a person could give to them. May you and I never sell ourselves cheap. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, You're made in the image of God. God owns you. He owns your spirit and your body. That being true, then we need to recognize, we need to then display the body only in the way He gives us authority to do it. The way that He is approved. No wonder in all those discussions and those situations. It brings us to a point of conclusion of our lesson today. I realize that clothing is a multi-billion dollar business in our country. All kinds of warehouses and stores, we can go to them in person, we can buy clothing online. 
all kinds of ways we can obtain it. And yet the matter behind it all is the purpose of clothing is to appropriately cover the body. The purpose of clothing is not to reveal the body. But that's what so often our manufacturers prefer and encourage. May you and I be mindful. May we be determined to choose more wisely than the world would set before us. To choose clothing that really is in the line of shamefacedness. It's modest and it is of sobriety. It is far more like the clothing that God made, those coats of skins, and not the clothing that Adam and Eve made. I realize today this kind of lesson is really never that pleasant because it is so difficult to appreciate the gigantic and powerful message the world is sending. But as with so many other things, God's Word is different. God's Word is very special and it is very strong on the points like this one. The ancient Romans and Greeks alike struggled with choosing the right clothing in their culture. We are over 2,000 years removed from that and yet it is still an issue, isn't it? May we choose wisely. May we choose in a way that upholds not lustful thoughts in another, but wholesome, holy thoughts in another. I hope we're each renewed and recharged in these wise decisions. Because as we do that, we need to rear a generation so that our children know this. We don't want them choosing poorly because I assure you, when they arrive at high school and college, they're going to be asked questions because they're not going to dress like most everybody else. Others are going to dress far more loosely. And our youngsters and our grandchildren are going to be asked, and they're going to be made fun of. And they are going to be reviled because they won't wear what others do. They need to be cemented in their thinking so that they will appreciate that God's ways are best and His ways are right. Today, if there would be anybody in this audience that whatever the sin in your life may have been, it may not have anything to do with clothing. But whatever the sin is, it'll distance us from God. It'll cause you to be lost if you don't repent of it. Jesus came that one and all might be saved, but He offers the invitation. He won't make you obey Him. He won't force you. But He does invite and He does encourage and He does implore. And today, if there would be anyone with a sin that you would wish to confess... We'd be delighted to pray to God on your behalf. We'd encourage you. But if you've never become a Christian, you need to do that today. We don't know when time's going to end. We don't know when you may die. If either of those occurs, it's too late. You need to obey God today. Jesus came that you might be saved, that you might have life and have it more abundantly in the words of John 10, verse 10. But He leaves that decision to you. You need to believe in Him. You need to repent of your sins, confess His matchless name, and be buried in baptism for the remission of sins. Once you begin that walk in life, the world will encourage you in many ways that are evil, and that will include clothing. If you have erred in any subject or in any way, we'd be delighted to help you and encourage you today. Won't you come, if that's the need of your heart, while together we stand and while we sing.